0: welcome to let's talk New Mexico I'm your host Taylor Velázquez New Mexico has struggled with education rankings and charter schools have received criticism for contributing to the problem school districts and charter schools too are responsible for implementing the ruling of the Yazzie V Martinez lawsuit that requires equal and sufficient education for all New Mexicans but some advocates and lawmakers have pointed to a lack of oversight contributing to inconsistencies in school quality last month the state auditors Office and Legislative Finance Committee jointly released a risk assessment advisory concerning how charter schools are using public funds when it comes to their respective charitable foundations. The assessment pointed to a significant accountability gap and a lack of transparency that can contribute to fraud and mismanagement of funds. And as of right now, there are no oversight mechanisms to account for public funds transferred by charter schools to their charitable foundations. These problems have a long history as the Legislative Finance Committee in 2013 outlined the same two major issues concerning charter schools. Subsequently, the Legislature and the Public Education Department have called to evaluate the use of public funds allocated to charter schools in order to make sure these monies are being monitored and used appropriately. This morning, we'll be taking a look at the alternate paths to education that charter schools can offer, what it takes to adequately fund these schools, what academic standards are set to ensure all New Mexico children are set up for success and what it would take, what it would look like to have more oversight when it comes to spending those public monies. And we want to hear from you too. Are you a parent of a charter school student or are you an educator at one? What has that experience been like? Are schools set up to the standards we expect? You can email us at, at org or call live during the show. And my first guest this morning is Matt Paul, Executive Director of School, public Charter Schools of New Mexico. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Taylor. Thanks for having me. And just to start off with, I want to know what you all do at Public Charter Schools of New Mexico.
1: Yeah, we're the statewide advocacy organization. We're a membership organization. so. Charter schools across the state will be members in our org. We provide training, um, other methods of support like uh, opportunities and forums to get the schools together um, to collaborate uh, as well as um, advocating for them in, in public forums as well as up at the legislature.
0: And we talk a whole lot about the public charter public school system, but not a lot of folks are quite sure about what charter schools are, what they have to offer. Can you explain how they work and their impact on the community?
1: Yeah um, so public or charter schools are public schools um, here in New Mexico and that's something that's different something that you'll, you can read stories in the New York Times or other national media um, articulate charter schools that are a little different than the way we do them here in New Mexico. So every time a charter school is created, we create a governmental entity. It is purely public. We have the same oversight on our finances as school districts do, um, and we we have to adhere to ninety eight percent of the laws that uh, that traditional public schools do. Where we have a difference is two places. One, we have some autonomy to create uh, curriculum and programming for students that look a little different from a traditional public school. And what guides us in that is the mission of the school. Each school has a mission, and that's kind of telling the public and our students like what we're trying to accomplish here, what programming they can expect. Um, and secondly, our charter schools have their own governing body, so they can make decisions at the school level, um, and that can be that can be really empowering for our schools to be very student-centered in the choices that we make as far as how we handle uh, new laws that come down or, or things of that that nature.
0: About 29,000 kids in New Mexico actually are attending charter schools. I read that charter schools are facing severe funding cuts and that new laws are restricting their abilities to serve students. What's going on there?
1: So uh, four years ago, uh, we, we had a law that was passed that eliminated small school size adjustment for charter schools and for traditional public schools um, that were not in very rural areas. Most charter schools in New Mexico are small, and so as as our schools have grappled with those funding cuts, um, you know they're trying to figure out how how they can execute on their models with that limitation in funding. The overall funding has gone up. We've we've gotten significant investments from the state to increase teacher salaries um, and to uh, to help remedy some of the elements of the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit, as you mentioned in your intro.
0: And I'm going to bring this up because every time we talk about education, it's something that always has to come up. But New Mexico has historically struggled with our poor education rankings. What are the biggest challenges that charter schools are facing and what strengths do they have? And can they help us move from our last place?
1: Yeah, Taylor, I would say that, you know, we consider we're part of the fabric of the public education system. So all the challenges that we're facing are very similar to ones that district schools are facing as well. Um, the where charter schools play a role in in helping helping our students achieve success is, is by providing an option and a fit that might just work out better for every student. You know, We have a vision that every kid has acce- access to a public school that meets their needs. Um, and that ne- isn't necessarily the one that they're assigned to in their enrollment zone. Um, and we see that the amount of kind of choosing of public schools for parents and families spreads way beyond charter schools there's a lot of picking between district schools as well parents will drive their students across town to go to a different traditional public school as well and so if those kids have a better fit more investment in their campus and they're they're being served by an academic model that meets their needs we think that means they can have better success and we've seen that in a number of our charter schools where students that are historically underserved are are they're really being put on a different trajectory because of what they're achieving and how they're how they're interacting with their education system.
0: And it seems like you're doing a lot of advocating for student success. It's all about student success, but we're in full swing of the legislature right now, and you were actually there this past Monday. What response did you receive for your policy platform? Are you hopeful about making progress? What was that kind of vibe?
1: Yeah, I think we have really wonderful partners uh, at the New Mexico State Legislature, and we have some some things that we are working towards that would help put us on a level playing field with all public schools across the state, um, as far as far as funding. We're also we also weigh in on some of these issues like the extended school year and and graduation requirements and uh, we we're, a, were we're an important stakeholder we've served 9% of the kids in the state so it, it's it's something that we know our voices are heard and you know they have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, different perspectives being offered and so the legislature makes decisions based off a lot of feedback including ours
0: that sounds great and how does a charter school get its charter to begin with and what steps are necessary to keep that charter
1: yeah so the process is is a year and a half before from from the time of the ideation of a charter school happens to when it opens so in in, in fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, charter, folks who are interested in starting a charter school um, submit a notice of intent in January, and then an application in June. And the the unique thing about our charter school movement is that really it it serves as an educator empowerment mechanism. There are folks from communities all across New Mexico who said, "I've been almost all of our charter school founders are teachers or somebody who's been who's who's lived in the education system for some time." Um, They look at that system and say, you know what? Our community needs this. They need something different. And so they submit that Notice of Intent in January. They submit an application, which is hundreds of pages, (laughs) um, to their authorizer, which is either uh, the Public Education Commission or their local school district. Um, And then there's a whole summer of review of that application. They do a public input hearing in the location that the school is proposed to hear from the community there. And then that authorizer makes a choice and uh, decision on whether to open that school in September, the school then has that that school year to prep themselves to get ready to open that school the following August.
0: Sounds like a lot of work, but you know <laughs> we have people who are doing it, and I like your points about the charter school movement and doing that. But I think when people read about charter schools or they hear about charter schools, they think about those criti- critiques about they're not operating as the same scrutiny as charter or public schools. What accountability is built into that system?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, the, the, we're aware of this narrative, yet our schools have a contract with their authorizer. It's five years long. And they are evaluated on three element, the kind of performance metrics, academic, organizational, meaning that they're, they kind of manage the school well, and then financial. Um, our schools are the only schools that close because of poor academic performance. They're the only schools that close because of of issues with management, um, and those issues aren't relegated just to charters. They exist everywhere, uh, you know, outside of public schooling as well. Um, our schools are are have accountability for that. We've. You know, nobody wants to see a school close, um, but but um, having that accountability is a feature of the public charter school system and not a bug. Um, so if it's not working, that charter can be suspended and, re- and revoked, and, and it has many times in the past.
0: And we want to hear from you. Are you a graduate of a charter school? Did you feel you were adequately prepared for higher education or a career? You can let us know at 505-277-5866, or you can give us an email at kunm.org, or you can even tweet to us at the hashtag LetstalkNM. And Matt, I know earlier you talked about the, all the choices that go into picking a school for your child and public charter schools of New Mexico has been an advocate for school choice on your platforms. What exactly is school choice?
1: So school choice as a broader term kind of means a lot of different things. When we think about school choice, we think about public school choice. So magnet schools at districts, uh, different traditional uh, public schools within districts and charter schools. There are many options. All of those schools are free to parents um, and open to every student that applies. And so when we think about school choice, we think about it in the public Space, um, you know, school choice is a broader term sometimes incorporates um, private elements like, um, like, like private schools, parochial schools, things of that nature. We're good with we, you know, that's great. We know a lot of families choose that. We're really focused on that public sector um, uh, choice.
0: And there's been a lot of contention around this debate of school choice. What would you say to critics who say school choice would lead to greater inequity as students move to better schools and leave less affluent students behind?
1: I think in New Mexico, our narrative really looks different than that. Um, our, Our historically underserved student populations are choosing charter schools at very high numbers, and they're receiving an education that is that's meeting their needs. Um, the fact that it is, you know, their choice means they can also opt out. And so if it's not meeting their needs, they can choose another school. Um, and in areas like Albuquerque, that are really rich in public school choice. It, I think there are a lot of options for those students uh, to to find a school that meets their needs.
0: And, you know, we mentioned it before, and I think it's Really hard and impossible to mention in, educa- in a conversation of education without mentioning Yazzie B. Martinez, but that lawsuit focuses on at-risk students. Where can the state and education experts look for ways to bolster charter school funding in order to meet kids where they are in terms of how they learn and their own individual strengths?
1: That is the multi-billion dollar question, I think, <laughs> and one that I think the entire public education community is really working towards towards answering. I think there's some really good initiatives right now. I think teacher salary increases are part of this, just attracting caring adults that are qualified and ready to to make a difference in our kids' lives. I don't know that we, ha- we have a singular answer to that, but I know that we're marching down a path of spending funds that focus on those students, um, and there are a number of schools Um, that are really showing success with those student groups. And so I think really like a next step for us will be You know, after these large investments, asking the question, well, where is this working and how can we take those those learnings and make them more common practice across the state? And I think a lot of um, many of those great practices will be found in charter schools.
0: This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velazquez. We're talking about funding charter schools and we'll be back in a moment.
2: The University of New Mexico College of Nursing is a proud sponsor of KUNM, addressing New Mexico's nursing shortage. More info on how to become a bachelor-prepared nurse at nursing.unm.edu. It's time to elect four people to the KUNM Radio Board, and you're invited to nominate yourself. We
3: welcome people from all walks of life, and a broad array of points of view are encouraged. Nominations must be in by 5 p.m. February 15th. Email to Elect at unm.edu or mail to University Secretary Scholes Hall, UNM 87131. Nominations may not be hand-delivered. For complete info on the KUNM Radio Board elections, call 505-277-4664 or visit kunm.org in the About tab.
0: Please join us in thanking our business and nonprofit underwriters for their continued financial support. Because of their support, our mission will continue as your trusted source of award-winning local news and music. KUNM, powered by you. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Taylor Velazquez. We're taking your calls about charter schools and the various issues of funding, oversight, and school choice. Have you thought about the charter school option? You can give us a call at 505 277 5866 or email us at letstalk at kunm.org. But now I would like to introduce my next guest, Stephanie Becker, Executive Director and Principal of Amy Beale High School here in Albuquerque. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much. We've talked a little bit about charter school academic expectations. Your school's principles are courage, scholarship, and community. Can you explain more about what you and your staff does and how preparing your students in a different way leads to long-term success?
4: Well, 24 years ago, the founders of our school um, sought to create an alternative education opportunity for students who might not be um, getting served in a larger uh, context. So their mission that they, um, um, you know, the, the mission is scholarship and service. So the vision is to follow the example of Amy Beale, who was a Fulbright um, scholar who was tragically murdered in South Africa, focusing her work on social justice. She was a graduate from Stanford, And uh, Santa Fe High School. And so keeping Amy Beal in our sort of sights, they began a school so that students that um, might have aspirations to go to college would be better served. So we, we want them to really focus on getting into college and serving the community. It's a dual mission.
0: And I want to get a little bit more in depth in the college conversation. We all know New Mexico has struggled with education from K 12 to higher education. For example, UNM saw its first increase of 1.6% in enrollment since 2012 last year. What standards do you have to ensure student success and even instill confidence that earning a college degree is possible?
4: Um, the, we we really like to see that students can find the the right fit for them. If a two year degree works or a four year degree works, that's terrific. Um, Post secondary plans are vital. We don't want to have them graduate and not have a plan. Um, the the founders and we believe that. Um, that if a student it really wants to get to college we're gonna find a way to get them into college and so the standards are to follow whatever um, need you know their needs are if they we, we our school requires two dual credit um, classes to be passed by um, better than a C or better and um, and then we feel like that puts them on the pathway many of our students will take dual credit early on if that's uh, what what they really want to do. So we have a terrific relationship with CNM and um, and a really great director of college engagement and a curriculum that allows them to have that access with a lot of support.
0: Seems like Amy Beal is opening a lot of doors when it comes to academics but with all you're doing what do you think is missing from traditional public schools?
4: Well I mean a traditional public school has to serve a much larger population Um, that has a lot of, uh, you know, each student has maybe different goals or needs. Um, When our school wants to focus on a mission of scholarship and service, then we hopefully attract those kids that want to do that work. In a traditional public school, you're going to see, you know, thousands of kids that they have to serve um, along with the state standards, and they don't necessarily get to invest um, the resources that we do um, to focus on a college uh, career.
0: You know, when we have these conversations, it's about serving the students, but at Amy Beal, you're about the students serving the community as well. One of those expectations is for your students to complete a service project. Can you tell us a little bit more about how something like that and that of that rigor can contribute to engaging your students?
4: Well, this is where I feel like a holistic approach to serving students is really valuable. And in this way, um, maybe you have a student who's not a 4.0 student who just nailed the ACT with a 32, right? But they're bright um, and they can get into the community and demonstrate their proficiency and their excellent communication skills or their passion working at, a, at an organization that they really want to serve. And so then they can shine in different ways. They can self-advocate, they can advocate for their community, and um, they don't necessarily have to um, show up for a test.
0: And Matt, I wanna give you this question. You work and see a lot of different charter schools and what they do, what kind of extracurriculars are there that charter schools are doing to keep students engaged?
1: Yeah, I think the, those are going to vary depending on the mission of the school. You know, Miss um, uh, Becker just shared a little bit about how that works at Amy Beal. Um, depending on, you know, what the focus of the school is, they are going to have um, extracurriculars and co-curriculars that really help drive towards that mission. And I think most of our charter schools are providing something something. Some uh, slate of programs that are attractive to most of their students because they recognize that need to just have a, a community hub and a place for those kids for for you know the majority of the day, and so I could. To start going down the path of a bunch of examples but I, but I won't I won't just now just because I think there's you know whether it's a stem focus college prep like uh, Miss Becker school Montessori for the younger ages like there's going to be something that's very unique to that school
0: and it looks like we actually have a listener email from Mike he says we are proud charter school parents our high schooler found a new home in his charter school starting in sixth grade it was the best decision we've ever made his academic trajectory changed for the best and he's been incredibly successful successful. The model of our STEM-focused school suits his needs and challenges to him in unique ways. Our elementary student has a different needs and learning styles. He too thrives in smaller environments of our charter schools. Stephanie, you have mentioned that your school does teach smaller class sizes. How does that impact students? I mean, we see some students struggle in one area. How can we reach every single
4: one? Well, a small school size uh, really just means that we can focus on our students with much more attention. And uh, if, if your class size is between 15 and 18, teachers can have stronger relationships with students. It's no secret that when students feel like they have a connection with their teacher, they're going to want to sh- show up more, and, and they will engage more often. Um, so a small school size means that nobody falls through the cracks.
0: And I know, Matt, you mentioned this earlier, but charter schools are dealing with all the same problems that public schools are dealing with, especially when it comes to the challenge of educators having burnout, the teacher shortage. But I read Amy Beale provides competitive salaries. How can better pay and morale and, compet- and be a component of solving the educational challenges?
4: Well, every, every school has to um, to sort of figure out what their culture is, and we have a really strong collaborative culture among our um, faculty and staff. We all work together, obviously, in, in the mission. You know, serving the mission, but most of all, the the students are always the center of what we do. Um, so, you know, we. We just, we work together with, um, I would say, commitment and um, enthusiasm and a genuine love of learning and teaching.
0: Matt, you're nodding your head over here. What do you think about what Stephanie just said?
1: Oh, I, I, I you know, second everything she said, and I just add that, you know, students are choosing schools, but but teachers are too. Mm-hmm. And when they find a school with that mission that really speaks to them, it just, it does something for your career. I mean, we have art schools where I think some of the staff there—I mean, they've been dreaming of that position for for their whole career—and being able to work in a school that focuses on that. And I just think it does something for the teachers too. And I think when it, when they're able to select a school that's really speaking to their needs, whether it's a traditional public school or a charter school, I think it means something. I think it does something for them um, in terms of uh, staying in the profession, which is which is exactly what we
5: need.
0: Stephanie, we spoke earlier about what it takes to become a charter school, keep that charter school, but in your own experience, what has the oversight been like for you?
4: I can only speak from my experience and it has been really positive. The charter school division um, part of NMPD Works with us. Um, They provide us. There's a framework that we have to follow. They come once a year um, between the chartering and the the charter renewals, and so they, you know, sort of oversee our annual goals, see if we're meeting our mission, make sure our board, our governance board is doing what they promise, and and they look at the finances and make sure that we're all in in compliance. And it's been incredibly supportive. Um, If there are some areas where we would need some support or we need to sort of look at and reevaluate what we're doing, we look at that. Academic performance is always important, and so showing up um, and, you know, really trying to be accountable for all the things that we promise we're going to do, that we... um, that we do what we say we're going to do.
0: It looks like we have a caller from Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. And thanks for calling in. I see that you have two daughters, who one who graduated on scholarship, and you just want to talk about your experience with that.
5: Uh, Yeah, Uh, my name is Joe, and uh, I'm the vice president of the Parent Association at New Mexico School for the Arts. Here in Santa Fe, uh, in the old Sambusco building, we've moved uh, campuses uh, in the last three years here, and uh, we just got uh, funding for uh, dormitories, which is amazing. Um, it's right at the end of the rail runner, right side by the, across the street from John Coxo Theater, Beastly Books, that are in the rail yard, basically. Uh, so we're excited, and I I just wanted to call in and. A little bit about my testimonial about my experience with charter schools is uh, we moved our family uh, from a smaller community down south, Silver City, actually. Um, When I heard about New Mexico School for the Arts, I had one that was a saxophonist and one that is into theater. Uh, It didn't exist when I graduated in the late 90s, so I couldn't get mad at my mom and dad for not sending me but I was like, wow, so we uh, came and checked it out, and uh, my oldest daughter got in, and uh, my wife's a teacher, I'm retired in military, so we said, let's just move to Santa Claus. So we uh, were lucky enough to move up here, my daughter went through the program, Uh, the faculty and staff there helped get her ready for college, uh, essays and all that, and she's actually on a Liberty Scholarship at drexel university and was the state poet laureate so we didn't even know she was she was a poet and we didn't know it and then really bring her out of it Uh, her sister's doing well so i just thought there i've heard a lot of rumors about nmsa that it's a private school or something like that and it's in santa fe so it's pricey and that's you know that there's an arts fee An arts fee we encourage everyone to pay it but it's manageable uh, if you can't, you can't, but so you don't. <laughs> it sounds like uh, have you have like dorms. Stephanie
0: is really they you're really reaching the kids where you can. And I know we just had spoke with Stephanie about oversight, but in your opinion, what has oversight looked like to you? What's your experience with that?
5: Uh, from the state level? Yes. Um I just hear more about the funding things. I, I'm like not faculty or admin. I'm just. Uh, you know, do fundraising and make sure uh, the kids have uh, food at their dances and the logistics side of it. So I, I really can't comment on that.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Joe, for calling in. It's great testimony that we hear that our kids are getting the education they need and they're being successful later on in life. And Stephanie, I kind of want to go back to you. Oh, and you have a, something to say.
4: Well, I was gonna. <laughs> I, I realized you had uh, earlier referenced the the foundation, some of the the issues between funding with the foundation and funding the the school itself. And I know that our um our foundation helps meet the needs of students that the the state doesn't provide the money for. So we fund our students um, in ways we uh, help them with application fees. We help um, make sure that they have. The, the, the capacity to apply for colleges, that not only within the state, but out of state. So we've had students um, get full rides after lots and lots of support to places like Stanford, GW, uh, George Washington, American University. And so we're really proud of our students. It's not, I mean, they work incredibly hard, but we find the means to support them in that. And then our service mission is completely, is really funded all the way through that, the foundation, so the money, helps um, those resources help our students meet that mission and get their goals met.
0: And as principal, you really have the boots on the ground motto, but do you think it's fair that some officials are pointing to charter schools for contributing to things like low test scores and
4: other measures of success? I I mean, I think mathematically, that's a really difficult (laughs) concept to to buy into. Um, You know, it it doesn't really work out that well (laughs) in that.
0: And you're able to teach the smaller class sizes like we had a little bit more of that discussion earlier, but what does funding look like when you ha- have those small class sizes? Are you guys still struggling? Are you making progress when it comes to the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit? What does that look like?
4: Well, you know, the one thing I learned over the many, many years of education is that when you serve one population, if you if you try really hard thinking about students with special needs, when you teach students with special needs with all that rigor, all students are going to benefit. And so by by uh, focusing on our students that have been less served, everybody will actually benefit in the long run. And indeed, um, you know, we're, it's it's the learning curve and it's a hard transition trying to serve everybody and making sure that we're accountable and making sure that those kids um, have gotten what they deserve, you know, like what, what the the intent of the lawsuit was um, trying to make sure we meet their needs. Is um, it's, it's still a challenge given given what the funding looks like?
0: Matt, we just heard from Stephanie about the challenges that they're still facing, especially when it does come to Yasi Martinez. But from your experiences, from your experience, do these experiences worsen for students, teachers, and staff when they're located in rural communities?
1: I think it presents additional challenges. Um, you know, when we talk about the the plaintiffs in the Yasi Martinez lawsuit, you know, so much of this comes down to the core issues associated with poverty. And so, you know, when we talk about the multifaceted like effort to try and try and help our students succeed, I mean, when I look at the paper and I hear about a, I don't know. A new company hiring a thousand people, that actually does something too, um, just by providing good jobs in our community. Um, to your question about the rural areas, I think some of these issues get compounded, um, you know because of transportation issues and things of that nature. And of course, a number of our rural areas um, uh, ha- have tribal communities there where there are additional um, issues such as um, issues regarding language um, and and ensuring that kids have a have a solid foundation in their language of their culture, but also the academic language of of English, that brings in additional challenges that I think make that difficult. So I think the the challenges are similar but are compounded in rural areas for for all schools.
0: Now I would like to bring in my next guest this hour, who is our new state auditor, Joseph Maestes. Good morning auditor. Thanks for joining us this morning.
3: Good morning, and thank you for having me. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you just fine and you know we just had that whole big conversation with Stephanie about funding and the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit, but do you expect do you think the court order is providing enough adequate schooling when it comes to funding?
3: Well, um, you know as the state auditor <laughs> you know we we deal mostly with um Holding all public entities accountable uh, in the way they use public funds. I'm talking about state agencies, local governments, and smaller subdivisions of government like asekyas and um, um, and other smaller entities. So, uh, I'm I'm aware of the Yasu Martinez lawsuit, and uh, you know, coming from a family of educators. You know, educational outcomes are—that's—that's that's the ultimate test, right, of our educational system. And I think it's still uh, an evolving uh, effort, you know, to ensure that uh, we invest enough in our public schools to ensure that we have uh, positive educational outcomes. <laughs>
0: Last month, the state auditor's office released a risk advisory on New Mexico charter school foundations. The report found there is significant oversight and accountability failure failures between charter schools and nonprofit charter foundations. Can you explain this relationship between schools and private foundations a bit more?
3: Yes, I think in, you know, specifically, we're talking about, you know, kind of an important case study for reform in oversight of uh, academy or at least the charter schools and their foundations. Uh, the case that we're speaking of is the great academy charter school and their foundation. Uh, back, uh, early last year, the public education commission, uh, sent formal allegations, um, to our office regarding potential violations of governmental conduct act and possible, uh, financial mismanagement, misappropriation of public funds and conflicts of interest. And so in February, uh, and I was not state auditor at that time, in February of last year, the state auditor uh, designated great Academy for a special audit. And, uh, you know, in listening to the history of the the focus on the relationship between charter schools and foundations, um, I, I think it's, it's a textbook, uh, you know, kind of case study in missed opportunities to address the issues. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Legislative Finance Committee. Uh, they had historically uh, done several evaluations of this relationship uh, back in in 2010 and 2013. And I think one thing you didn't mention is there was legislation to address a lot of these issues in 2013. It was Senate Bill 333. However, that was pocket vetoed. And so the, the bottom line is there is uh, There are no laws, regulations, or other enforcement mechanisms in place which either disallow or prevent the transfer of public funds from a charter school to a private foundation without accountability and transparency. Um, and so I am happy to report, and I, I know you have more questions, but um, House Bill 143 has been introduced that will uh, address, I think, some of the findings from our special audit uh, such as, you know, creating a standardized leasing form uh, for use by all charter uh, schools, uh, increased prohibitions uh, of conflicts of interest in the governance and employment of charter schools, and requires that lease payments be approved by the Public School Capital Outlay Council at uh, local prevailing uh, market rates. And so it's no wonder that you kind of save say the watchdog <laughs> to the end of the panel, but Um, I think what's what's being proposed, I think, right now in the legislature uh, will vastly improve the governance of charter schools and the relationship between charter schools and their foundations uh, to ensure that public money uh, is being spent uh, in an accountable and transparent manner.
0: And we're taking your calls this morning about charter schools and how public funds are being spent and what it will take to create transparency. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM 89.9. 89.9. I'm Taylor Velazquez, and we'll be back in a minute.
4: I'm Maria Hinojosa next time on Latino USA. A close look at the animated Latina icon Dora the Explorer. We dive into what propelled her rise to preschool programming dominance.
5: This idea of not building barriers gave extra meaning and heart and urgency to the mission of the show. That's next time on Latino USA.
3: That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM.
4: If you've been thinking about donating that old car or truck to KUNM, this is the time to make that call and actually do it. Together, our listeners who donated vehicles paid almost 10% of KUNM's bills. That means so much to us, and it means something to you, too, because that's less fundraising we need to do on air. So please don't put it off any longer. Call 888 KUNM Car today. We take care of everything from towing to tax receipt. Call. 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227.
0: Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're looking at laws surrounding the charter school system to ensure every New Mexican student is receiving an equitable education. There's still time to call in this morning at 505-277-5866. And we just heard from our new state auditor, Joseph Maestas, about the Charter school risk assessment that was just put out last year, but we also have Stephanie Becker with Amy Beal, Pr- principal and executive director. What do you think about that assessment and what audit- the auditor just said?
4: I think it's vital that everyone is uh, well governed and um, audited, and I really appreciate the. The oversight, I, I think it's um, unfortunate that one bad example gets uh, a lot of the media attention when there are literally hundreds of examples where um, the, the oversight is, is really tight and, um, you know, they, th- that, that bad example will cloud the effective and successful financial management of a great majority of uh, the other charter schools and foundations that have you know, remarkable relationships that serve the kids. Um, and Matt, do you look like you have something on your mind, too?
1: Yeah, I'd just say that the one thing that I think is missed in this is that, that uh, church school foundations, as it relates to facilities, is actually something that uh, the legislature imposed on us in the first place. Um, we are unable to make real estate transactions as a governmental entity. And so the legislature created the need for foundations, and I think some of the um, some of the issues that are noted in House Bill 143 um, re- really won't help with this issue, um, w- and that has to do with the leases, leasing parts. Um, I, I don't know that they're necessarily. Uh, what yeah, I don't think they solve the issue, and then secondly, I'd just say the conflict of interest piece, which we are not opposed to I mean like disclosing that is not an issue for us i just I think we do take issue with that being a charter only provision because we have had instances of embezzlement and conflict of interest that have really impacted our school districts as well and so when we talk about safeguarding funds um for for taxpayers across the state, I think this is something that should be evenly applied.
0: Otter Maestas, can you tell us a little bit more about the charter school legislation that we're all talking about, just to make sure everyone listening has a good grasp on the conversation?
3: Well, um, this this bill was, I think, just submitted on the twenty fifth, so it's it's brand new. It's it, I'm sure it's going to be amended uh, throughout the legislative process, but um, it does include many many of uh, I think some of the issues that need to be addressed with respect to that relationship between charter schools and foundations, and it doesn't include many, many of the provisions that were in the uh, 2013 uh, Senate Bill 333 that was pocket vetoed. Um, so uh, I think you're going to, you're going to, you know, see a lot of people weigh in on this and hopefully refine this piece of legislation to ensure that we address maybe some of the shortcomings that that Matt mentioned.
0: And Matt, can we get a little bit further into the details on what Auditor Maez was just speaking about?
1: Sure. Um, House Bill 143 is Three is—it's doing a lot of things, and it impacts uh, traditional public schools as well in, ter- in terms of oversight of governance. Um, so it's allowing the state to um, suspend an in- individual school board member. Um, it's providing for you know, videotaped or I guess streamed uh, and recorded uh, governance meetings for both uh, traditional public schools and for charter schools. What the charter specific provisions are to have a standardized lease um, for charter schools to engage with uh, when they rent buildings. Most of our schools rent their buildings. Only when a school is well established do they get into a space where they can purchase a building, um which I think we think is appropriate. Um, the issue with that is we start, we start moving into the speed of government working with the speed of a real estate. And they they operate in two really different places. And so we think it's more appropriate to do help us be good stewards of our public funds um, and help us with training and things of that nature. And maybe some template language, but not necessarily a formal, you know, standardized lease because we just... We, we don't know how to anticipate um, what private landlords and, and nonprofits will want in those leases. And if we can't change them, we might miss out on a building. And that's our chief critical issue in our space is just finding a space to serve kids.
0: Auditor Maestas, I want to go back to our points about the risk assessment, pointing out significant gaps of accountability. And because of that, there's that lack of transparency about where those public monies are going. Are there any clear examples that certain charter schools have engaged in questionable activity?
3: Well, I'm not aware of, of other you know charter schools um, you know having similar issues, but I, I do want to remind your callers that uh, my office manages uh, a confidential uh, fraud waste and abuse uh, hotline. It uh, it's one eight six six O is as in Orlando, F as in FAM, A as in Apple, Fraud. Um, people can either call in, they can uh, submit specific allegations um, of fraud, waste, and abuse through the web. They can call our direct line. Uh, and we, we uh, work very hard to protect the confidentiality of these tipsters. Uh, and so it's very important. Um, we get... Uh, I'd say maybe 300 cases a year um, from uh, from confidential anonymous tipsters about fraud, waste, and abuse, and about half those cases are, are actionable. And so this is a vital part of the function of our office uh, to help stamp out uh, fraud, waste, and abuse. So I, I encourage uh, all your listeners, um, if they have any, um, any credible allegations of fraud, waste, and abuse, to inform my office. And at that point, uh, we do vet those um, those allegations and determine uh, whether a standalone special audit is needed or if there's already an independent public accountant engaged for that public entity that's a subject of allegations, we can have that engaged public accounting firm Uh, look closer into this area that that is the subject of these anonymous allegations.
0: And what you were just talking about, was this just for schools only, or what was that kind of trajectory that you're seeing?
3: Well, I I think that, you know, HB um, 143 is going to go a long way, I think, to address a lot of these gaps uh, that we're seeing uh, in terms of the relationship between charter schools and foundations. And, and I do agree uh, with Matt that there, there should be um, uh, more equity here in the application of some of these requirements uh, that, you know, th- they shouldn't just be applicable to charter schools, but also to your, you know, regular uh, public schools.
0: It sounds like you have a lot of calls coming through the fraud hotline or something that your office is engaged with, but what does that look like for when it comes to schools? How do you follow through with that?
3: Well, uh, again, we, we act on every every single uh, tip or allegations of fraud, race, and abuse. Uh, we have a special division within the Office of the State Auditor. It's the Special Investigations Division. Um, and even if we have an independent public accountant uh, in the middle of the conduct of an annual financial audit of a public entity, if they discover any potential fraud, waste, and abuse, they're mandated by statute to inform my office. Um, and so what we eventually do is, if we do have credible uh, fraud, waste, and abuse evidence, uh, we're required by law to refer it to uh, either an appropriate prosecuting uh, office, which is generally the district the, the judge in that locality, uh, we also have a new referral uh, oversight body, and that is the Ethics Commission. So we also uh, make referrals to the Ethics Commission uh, for specific examples of violations of the Governmental uh, Conduct Act. And in extreme cases, extreme complex potential cases of fraud, waste, and abuse, uh, we make referrals to the Attorney General. So this is very serious business, and, uh, and we take every single allegation Uh, serious and we vet them. And if they're credible, we act on them.
0: And if these are issues of fraud and mismanagement, what systems need to be in place to make sure the money is easier to follow?
5: Well, I
3: I, I think, you know, ensuring that, you know, public money essentially doesn't get laundered if it's transferred from the uh, charter school to a foundation. Um, And once that happens, the color of the money changes, and it's, it's not subject to all the, all the oversight that goes along with the management of public funding. So I think shining a light on that, uh, controlling uh, the cost of these leases and ensuring that the relationship between a charter school and a foundation, if the charter school is, is paying lease payments to the foundation, that there is an arm's length relationship between the charter school and the foundation, if there's a landlord tenant relationship there. So um, there's, I think many, uh, many opportunities, I think to really tighten this up and ensure that really, I think what, what the public want to know is that this doesn't happen again. And uh, and I think that's what uh, House Bill 143 is attempting to do. And, uh, and you know, look, it doesn't always take a state statute to uh, to ensure that we have proper reform and oversight. The public education department, I mean, really, in my opinion, this is my opinion, could have acted on the findings of the legislative finance committee uh, instead of waiting for a statute. And so I think there's a lesson learned here that um, that certain things, certain reforms can can occur in the absence of of legislative mandates. And, mm. so and I would like to actually
0: introduce my last guest, Stephen Carrillo, the Public Education Commissioner for District 10, which includes Taos, Colfax, and parts of Santa Fe and Rio Arriba counties. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for joining us this morning.
2: Uh, good morning. My pleasure. I'm- Great listening to everybody. <laughs>
0: And we, you know, we're going to get to you at the end of the show here, but we do have a tweet from Andrea who says, let's talk about the data that shows charter schools underperform compared to public schools. Stephen, what do you think about that?
2: That's completely false. Um, When you look at the performance of charter schools throughout the state, and Matt can attest to this, charter schools perform on average better than the typical public school or the traditional public schools and districts. So I would just say that's not true and Matt would probably say the same thing. Charters perform often um, better, and in fact, I believe it's one of the um, top or second-ranked schools in the state is ATC, which is a local charter out of Santa Fe uh, public schools with a waiting list of 400 kids.
0: And since you're already working with all the charter schools, could you, as the Public Education Commission, be a watchdog when it comes to funding and spending public money?
2: We're a watchdog in that in those three things that Matt mentioned in terms of performance, organization, and finance. <clears throat> On the finance side, we look at their budgets and we approve budgets, but we do not get directly involved in the way a school um, spends its money. One of the, the beauties of a charter is the uh, the um, that they're autonomous. And, um, they, they really, they're really able to function focusing on their mission and their, their day to day, what their board wants, what their teachers want, and what they've promised to, uh, parents and kids. So, what we'll do is if something comes to our attention, and I know you mentioned the Great Academy, and it is unfortunate that people hear that, uh, case and try to paint that, sw- um, you know, broad brush of charters. But um, that's a very, very uh, rare case. And when something comes to us, we take it very seriously Uh, in reviewing it, contacting the charter, the charter schools division. um, We'll do an investigation. Um, But in terms of direct direct involvement of how they spend their money, it's really up to them.
0: And Stephen, you just made the point of your involvement when it comes to your charter schools, and I had a policy advocate criticize the structure of New Mexico's Public Education Commission because its advisory role and lack of funding. They said it contributes to varying quality of charter schools across the state. Is that a fair assessment, or do you and do you have a good working relationship with PED?
2: I believe the PED has a wonderful working relationship with PED. Um Sometimes there's controversy or challenges, but that's a good thing. We learn from that. We uh, revise our policies based on that. Um I don't think the Public Education Commission is underfunded. For the work that we do, I think that the 2% that we get from all of the state charter schools Is has proven to be actually more than enough. And we're working on plans to uh, give back uh, money to the charters. We haven't worked that out specifically yet, but that's something that we're working on. Um, The commissioners, you know, they cross political lines. Um, The thing that I think is really wonderful about the commission, it's kids first. Politics doesn't enter into any of our decisions. It's all about kids, choice, supporting teachers and supporting the administrators at the charters.
0: And Matt I'm going to give you the final thought. Um, you were had a lot of f- nodding and emotion when Joseph or Stephen was talking about funding so what are you thinking on that?
1: Yeah, I'd just say <clears throat> um, just some thoughts on the on the public education Commission's role in this whole thing um, so I think while they have an advisory role, their role in charter schools is not advisory. It's quite consequential. Um, and so they there are different elements, and, and Commissioner Carrillo can talk a little bit about that. But then secondly, I just want to go back to something that Auditor Maestas said. Um, you know, he mentioned the hotline. This issue that we're talking about now was not because of the hotline. It's because the oversight that the PEC provided actually said, hey, We might have an issue here that is outside of our realm. Let's send it to the state auditor, which I think just, it it expresses, it's an expression of the oversight that charter schools do have that, that this issue got forwarded in that way.
0: And Stephanie, I'm going to give you the final few seconds here.
4: I just wanted to say that if parents of charter school students are really concerned about oversight, they should offer their um, help with joining foundations or joining the governing board so they can be a part of that. And
0: that's all the time we have today. Thanks to everyone who called and emailed to share your thoughts. And thank you so much to our guests, Joseph Maestas, Stephanie Becker, Stephen Curio, and Matt Paul. This was, this show was made possible by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation and kunm listeners like you if you missed part of the show stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on spotify or apple podcasts our engineer is marino spencer jeanette DeDio screened your calls megan kamrick live tweeted and Kaveh movahead is our executive producer on next week's show we'll be talking about possible changes this year to voting and election laws i'm taylor velasquez this is let's talk new mexico on kunm 89.9